Hello, my rebels. A big story in the Journal de Montreal. Quebec has a vaccine passport that is based on your phone, of course. It's got a QR code. Uh, and uh, they found hackers who could hack it in 15 hours. Hack the whole thing. And uh, I'll take you through this great story in the Journal de Montreal. And I got another question for you. If the Journal de Montreal can hack it in 15 hours, do you doubt that the Chinese government's already been in there? That's ahead. Hey, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com and click subscribe. It's that easy. Eight bucks a month. You get my show, Sheila's show, David Menzies' show, Andrew Chapito's show. And you get the satisfaction of helping Rebel News because we don't take any money from Trudeau unlike the other guys. By the way, uh, if you type in promo code election, we'll give you a month for free. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, hackers crack Quebec's vaccine passport in 15 hours, which means China has already been in there. It's August 20th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Why? consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish is because it's my bloody right to do so. Look at this story in the newspaper called Journal de Montréal, obviously the Montreal Journal. Uh, this is what it looks like in French. I'm going to put it through the Google Translate machine now to show you roughly what it means in English. Your risky data on the vaccination passport. Fraudsters could easily know where you went and save your personal information. Huh. Oh, just that. In less than 15 hours, hackers have created an application that allows you to copy the personal information included in the vaccination passport and track certain movements of Quebecers. Huh. Oh, really? Yeah, no problem. These well-intentioned specialists do not question the importance of the vaccine. <laughs> I think the Journal de Montréal put that in there just so they won't be jumped on as being anti-vax. I'm guessing that they wrote that. I, I don't believe the hackers actually said that uh, because I don't know what the importance of the vaccine passport even is, given that we know that if you're vaccinated, you can still spread the virus. So what exactly is the importance of carrying out this, carrying this spyware on you other than the spying part? I mean, I mean, first it was one vaccine shot, then it was two, now it's three. Now the billionaire profiteers at all the vax companies are talking about annual shots. Maybe it'll be like coffee shops where you get a card and you get your card stamped. And if you have nine coffees, your 10th coffee is free. I'm sure that's healthy. All those meds, especially the mRNA ones. Um, but does it work? Do the vaccinations work? Here's a big story in the pro-vax, pro-panic New York Times about Israel, one of the most vaxxed countries in the world, which now has one of the highest infection rates in the world. What's happening? Shouldn't we maybe stop and think about it and study it a bit more before doubling down and tripling down? I mean, I know politicians like to brazen through problems, just stick it out, but shouldn't scientists be a little more, you know, scientific? The Washington Post uh, just said that the Moderna vaccine has more side effects than 
previously thought. It can inflame the heart of young men. Uh, and I don't mean that metaphorically, myocarditis. So young men are one of the least likelihood of dying from this disease other than children. So why are we pushing this drug on them with side effects? Of course, this hasn't all been tested fully. How could it be? It's so rushed. How could we know what the effects are if you have three, four, five shots of this stuff with all the boosters? We don't even know the effects of having one or two shots because the vaccines are still in clinical trials. They're still experimental. None of the vaccines have been approved yet by the FDA. And not just the vaccines, all the pandemic public health theater. Like, you know those awful, ugly, dehumanizing plexiglass walls that are everywhere now, make you feel like you're checking into a prison or something? Here's the New York Times, the biggest pro-vaxxers around. Those anti-COVID plastic barriers probably don't help and may make things worse. That's their headline. Oh, okay, thanks for that. Thanks for telling us 18 months into things. Maybe we should have, you know, studied that before commanding shopkeepers spend tens of billions of dollars forcing it on them and between them and their customers. My point is, look, this was never about health. This was about control. So when the Journal de Montréal claims that it's really and really important to have this spyware on your phone, they mean that the spyware itself is important, not any health claims, because vaccine passports have actually never been studied. We don't know if they work. We, there's never been a vax passport before. No one can say they'll be effective any more than those infuriating plastic dividers are. The spying on you part, that's not a bug. That's a feature. That's the whole point. Back to the story. These well-intentioned specialists do not question the importance of the vaccine, but they wanted to demonstrate that the personal information contained in the vaccination passport, which will be mandatory from September 1st, in particular to go to the restaurant or gym, is not well protected. <laughs> hey, no problem. I'm sure the government will get it fixed in the next 10 days. Governments are well known for working very quickly and very carefully. They truly care about you. Our Bureau of Investigation spoke with one of the hackers who created an application to read the famous QR codes provided by the government to all those who received the vaccine. We were also able to successfully test the application and see for ourselves the two main breaches in privacy. It's super easy. We can do what we want with the information afterwards, says one of the designers who spoke to us, provided that his identity is protected. This specialist is part of the Hackfest community, a Quebec group of industry-recognized computer security experts. It's a good story. They sure are trying hard to let you know that these are the good guys, not the bad guys. These hackers are nice hackers. They believe in vaccine passports. Don't be mad at them for revealing that your private medical records are laughably insecure. You know, if that were a private company making these vax passports um, and leaking your private information that way, they would be subject to legal action under various privacy laws, probably contract laws. But it's the government, so they won't be. I mean, what are they going to do? Prosecute themselves? On August 12th, faced with some fears raised by opposition parties, Prime Minister Francois Legault defended the vaccination passport by declaring it totally safe. Hey, that's what they said about the vaccines too, isn't it? Less than two weeks before its entry into force, computer security specialists are worried. I can't counterfeit a QR code, it's true, but there is nothing that prevents me from reading and saving your information, 
notes the hacker. The latter also encourages people to go for vaccination. The problem is the technology used, he argues, believing that a paper proof without a QR code would be much safer. But, but don't you see, it's not about a piece of paper. It's about setting up an entire computer system electronically tied into a master database uh, that has everything. Your travel documents, your legal status, your public profile on social media, whether or not you have unapproved ideas, maybe. We know this because that's the model that was developed for China by Western tech companies. They have this system in China, they call it the social credit system, as in it's like your credit rating at a bank with the credit bureau, but instead of measuring how good a borrowing you risk you are for banks, this will measure your political risk as determined by the government. And just like in China, that risk will determine whether or not you can fly, take a train, go to school, have an apartment. This was tried out in China by Western companies, including a Xinjiang in the Xinjiang Muslim region in the West, by the way. That's something we learned actually in our access to information on the China files that we got from the Defense Department. The Canadian government has known for years about how China uses smartphone-based social credit apps to track Muslims in Xinjiang. They've never condemned it, the Canadians. Why would the Canadian government condemn it? Because they're copying it. I like this part of the story. The hackers showed they could hack it in hours, but look at what the government says. Look at who the government blames. Just like they blame you for getting sick, or they blame you for not wanting to be part of their drug experiment, they blame you for not keeping your data secret. Citizens to be vigilant supports the government. Quebec City, that's the capital of Quebec, refuses to take responsibility for the protection of data that ends up on Quebecers' vaccine evidence. Quote, citizens are responsible for the protection of their personal vaccination information. To avoid potential fraud, it is recommended that citizens keep their proof of vaccination for themselves, as is the unique link provided by email or text message, said government spokesperson Marie-Louise Harvey. Yeah, I, I think everyone in Canada has kept their vaccine information to themselves for their whole lives. I mean, I don't walk around with my measles vaccine info on me. I haven't seen it in 30 years. It probably doesn't exist. It's the government that is forcing us all to tell strangers about our health info or not be able to live life. And now they're blaming us because we're forced to tell strangers our private health info. I'll read some more. It is difficult, however, to keep for oneself proof that must be presented to a third party to access a public place. You don't say. So what can hackers do with your Vax passport? Well, they can do everything the government plans to do on you. I'll read some more. One, track your movements. A merchant who holds several deductibles can easily know where and when you have had your vaccination passport scanned in recent weeks in establishments linked to him. This will allow them to study your consumption habits and use them for marketing purposes. A network of merchants could also share this data with each other to make targeting even more effective. Oh, great. So they're selling your info to make money off you. Two, copy your personal information. By scanning your QR code, a merchant has instant access to the following information, which he can save. First name, last name, sex, date of birth, name of the vaccines received, date and place of vaccination. Malian merchants linked to organized crime, for example, could cross-reference this data with data from other data leaks, such as the one that claimed 9.7 million victims at Desjardins. So that's a bank 
that had a, a big data leak. So yeah, cross-referencing uh, your vaccine. Hey, remember the income tax? That temporary measure that'll be gone as soon as we beat the Kaiser in this great war. Yeah, it's, it's not temporary. We're still paying the income tax more than a century later. But listen to this guy, they quote, temporary measure. In a text he published last May, his colleague Jocelyn McClure, professor of ethics at McGill University, stressed that the vaccination passport is a fair measure, but it must be temporary. Proof of immunization will no longer be necessary if herd immunity is reached, he summarizes. <laughs> not a single politician will say that it's temporary. They don't, um, because it's not temporary. None of this is temporary. They're just loving it too much. It, they said it was going to be gone in two weeks. Do you still believe any of this is temporary? Great story in the Journal de Montréal, only in French for some reason. Uh, the CBC hasn't picked up the story yet. Uh, I bet if the CBC is looking at it, they're busy fact-checking it in order to get it kicked off Facebook. We talked about that this week. Of course, the high-tech malware, the spyware, the social credit system, is the beginning of a new police state. But what's so troubling is that humans love this. Humans made this. You can see how easily it is for democracy to give way to a tyranny. Imagine the gall of Ontario Premier Doug Ford and his staff calling up a pregnant MPP, a pregnant woman, and demanding that she take an experimental vaccine right in the middle of her pregnancy, or she will be fired and kicked out of the caucus. Imagine doing that and then not taking her personal choices of a sufficient reason that she won't and demanding that that pregnant woman get a doctor's note so the doctor can certify that she doesn't have to take this experimental med while she has a baby inside her. That's what the clumsy oaf Doug Ford did, threatened a young pregnant woman forcing her to take the vax or she'd be fired. Because, of course, just by looking at Doug Ford, you can see he deeply cares about personal health. I think Christina Midas should call Doug Ford and say, you lose 100 pounds, fatso, or I'm going to kick you out because you're not healthy. Why can't she demand he get healthy? She looks healthier to, uh, to me than he does. What a bully Doug Ford is. What a thug. And, and no objections from the rest of the caucus. If Doug Ford will bully his own caucus colleagues, and he's a conservative, if he'll bully a pregnant woman, imagine what he would do to you. The vaccine passport is not about a vaccine. It's not about a virus. And it's an insult to passports to describe it as a passport. Have you ever read your passport? It's not a lot of words in it. The first page tells you exactly what it is. I'll, I'll read it to you. The Minister of Foreign Affairs of Canada requests in the name of Her Majesty the Queen all those whom it may concern to uh, allow the bearer to pass freely without delay or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance as, and protection as may be necessary. That's it. That's all my passport says. It's basically a letter from the Queen to the world, letting the world know that the Queen's watching out for you and would the world please not hinder or delay you and maybe even help and protect you. For one reason only, it says on the very next page, because you're a citizen. That, that's it. That's all a passport is. The queen's saying, this guy's on my team. You be nice to him. That's the opposite of this vaccine passport, which is only about delaying and hindering you. A real passport carries only one fact about you. You're a citizen. That's all people learn from their passport. A vax passport carries your private secrets that you're 
either forced to tell strangers or, as we now know, can be hacked. To call it a vaccine passport is actually a lie. It's spyware. It's a permanent surveillance and control mechanism, which is why it will be permanent. It's outrageous enough that you will have to tell every clerk, every waiter, every bouncer your private medical status. But now we know that you'll also have to expose that information to criminals and fraudsters. And it is a safe bet that the entire file of everyone with such a passport has already been hacked and downloaded into China's security database. Do you doubt it? Stay with us for more. Hey, welcome back. Well, we certainly like to talk about the election. We like to talk about vaccine passports because we're worried about them as a privacy invading surveillance tool that removes our liberties. But I want to give you an update on the largest project we've ever done in our six and a half years. You know what I'm talking about. We call it the Fight the Fines Project. We have over 2,200 cases in Canada, plus a few dozen in the UK and Australia that our viewers in those countries crowdfund. But the big project is here in Canada. Just to remind you, because we haven't talked about it in a while, Fight the Fines is different from pay the fines. We don't pay people's fines for them. We don't want to do that. We don't have the money. What we do want to do is strengthen civil liberties in Canada for everyone. And typically the people who get hit with these lockdown fines are working class people or poor people, people who have to go to work, mom and pop shops. And it, it almost looks to me like the police are picking on uh, low income people. So I believe this is a kind of access to justice project too. And we don't turn anyone away unless there's some crazy fact. Uh, like I think we did turn away uh, an illegal criminal biker gang, believe it or not. I think that was the only <laughs> person we, the only group we didn't take. But other than that, we don't check if someone's a liberal or a conservative. We don't check if they're black, white, or any color or religion. If you are a Canadian and you've got a fine, we will fight it for you. And we now have, I think, I think we have 21 lawyers working across the country. We even are taking cases in the far north, cases in the Yukon and the Northwest Territories. I think Nunavut is Nunavut and PEI are the only two places in Canada where we don't have cases. We have over a thousand in Ontario. Now, I'm going to uh, call in Sheila Gunn-Reed, our chief reporter, in a moment, because she is really leading the charge in so many of these cases. But we took our first case in April of 2020. And of course, it's almost September 2021. So one of the things you can probably imagine is that a lot of these cases have been stalled, partly because the courts have been closed or slowed down because of the pandemic, and partly because the government really doesn't know what it's doing. If you get a drunk driving ticket or if you're charged with assault, for example, police, prosecutors, the courts, the government knows about those laws because they've been on the books, well, for decades or centuries even. And so handling those cases is what they do every day. It's like an assembly line. But these lockdown rules and the bans on gatherings and the bans on, and the, the ideas are new, the laws are often hastily written, they're usually orders, not even laws, and they're changing all the time. So really, bringing in thousands of new charges in a court system that's already slowed down, 
by police who don't know what the rules are on any given day and prosecutors who probably have more important things to do than to prosecute someone because they were not wearing a mask or in the case of one of our talent here in Toronto, Efrain Monsanto in Hamilton, he got a ticket for shaking someone's hand. That's a true story. You can see the video on it. So a lot of these cases are now 18 months old and they haven't moved. And I am hopeful that they will be thrown out en masse, not all of them, but that maybe hundreds of them will be thrown out for want of prosecution. You may know that it's an ancient right and it's in fact enshrined in our constitution, the right to a speedy trial. And if you are sitting with this sort of Damocles hovering over you, the stigma of being charged for a year, two years, three years, courts in Canada have said if the government ticketed you, threatened you, told you to come to court and then sat on their hands for two, three years, you're out of jail, buddy. And it is my hope that we free hundreds, if not thousands of people that way. And wouldn't that be wonderful if we saved them from paying? A lot of people were thinking of paying these fines just to get out of them. I think I, I feel optimistic. And I want to bring in now our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed, because I was just talking to her this morning on our staff call, and she said we have had so many cases thrown out that she can't even keep up. Sheila, great to see you. You were really there for one for our very early cases. I remember the case of Walter Matheson in Hampton, New Brunswick. He has been freed. He got a big ticket for drinking a coffee in his car in a parking lot. Crazy. <laughs> Give us a, I was rambling on a bit there. I'm just so excited. Give us a bit of an update on the Fight the Fines project in general, and then I know you got a few cases you're going to tell us about. Sure. You know, Fight the Fines is one of those things here at Rebel News that I'm really proud of um, because... You know, not only are we documenting the misdeeds of the government and the government overreaction um, during the pandemic and, you know, how, as you rightly point out, and as one of our lawyers, Chad Williamson, says, this is really a punishment of the poor. Because if you're rich, if you've got, a, you know, expendable income, you'll just pay your $880 ticket and walk away. But for families that are really hard hit by the pandemic... 880 bucks or $1,200 or $5,000 or in the instance of some of these families, you know, $20,000, that's enough to destroy a family on the cusp. That'll rip a, a family to shreds. And so instead of just telling the misdeeds, I think it is a really a perfectly rebel that not only do we tell the misdeeds, we offer help because sometimes just telling the story without offering help, for me, that's something the mainstream media does we don't like to exploit the story for clicks. We want to be able to help. And so that's what Fight the Fines does. And that's why I'm really proud of the work that we're doing. But yeah, some of the things are finally making their way into the court system and particularly out of Manitoba, where we have the really incredible Alberta lawyer, Leighton Gray, and his team working on many of the cases in Manitoba. Those things are being kicked out of court on the other side so fast, I can't keep up. I'm trying my best to report them. And in the coming days and weeks, uh, you'll be seeing a lot of stories coming from me about the successes that we have in Manitoba. And that's great news to me because Manitoba was really one of the more oppressive lockdown jurisdictions. In fact, it remains that way, but at least we've provided a little reprieve for some of the people who are currently in Manitoba. And as you know, in Alberta with Chad Williamson, outside of, you know, the, the big constitutional and, uh, 
you know, sort of contempt of court cases and the big legal challenges on the ticket front. He and his team have not lost a single case. Every single ticket they've taken on has been kicked out um, that has gotten to that point in the process. Things are other things are waiting to wind their way through the court system. And I'm very optimistic about those. But things that are are going ahead, they haven't lost a single one yet. Well, I'm thrilled to hear that. Um, now, I know you've been just looking into some of these cases. The good news, Leighton Gray, QC, senior lawyer in Cold Lake, good guy. We've interviewed him on our show here once, and I know you're sort of chummy with him. I'm very pleased. Uh, he's a very senior counsel, the QC. If you ever see that after a lawyer's name, that stands for Queen's Counsel. That's something that only very senior and accomplished lawyers get. It's like, uh, it's sort of like, uh, oh, I don't know, the Order of Canada, but for lawyers. So to have a lawyer of his stature on the case, I'm not surprised he's just crushing it. Uh, on the cases, can you give us any details? What are the, uh, uh, is it just the prosecutors abandoning the cases? Is the police withdrawing the tickets? Is there, do you know, is there a particular reason? Sometimes just lawyering up is enough to make the prosecutor say, oh, I thought this was gonna be a slam dunk. Yeah. Uh, you got Leighton Gray on the other side. I don't wanna spend 50 hours chasing a guy who didn't wear a mask. So sometimes it's just if you growl yeah. loud enough, you know, yeah. uh, but do you know what it was that, that gave us these wins? Yeah, it sounds like the prosecutors are just withdrawing the tickets because they are realizing that, oh, I'm on the other side of this from Leighton Gray. And Leighton Gray has a history of fighting for the underdog and fighting for the little guy. Um, he was involved in suing the government um, on behalf of uh, Indian Day School survivors. So he's a guy who cares deeply about helping somebody, helping people who normally don't have access to the legal system. And so a lot of uh, the prosecutors are just withdrawing the tickets once it gets to a certain point, once they realize not only do I have to face off against Leighton Gray, but his entire legal team. And uh, much of that is happening in Alberta here with uh, Chad Williamson. Chad Williamson's the perfect fight the finds lawyer. He's kind of a bit of a cowboy and uh, he's a true believer in freedom. Likewise with Sarah Miller. Uh, Sarah Miller took on our very first fight the fines case. That was Pastor Art Polosky. Art Polosky has become Sarah Miller's, I guess at this point, full-time mm. job. Mm. But besides the big Art Polosky fights, um, you know, basically keeping him out of jail on a day-to-day -day basis, she took on his early fight the fines tickets and she was getting them kicked out of court as quickly as he was getting them. When he was getting tickets for feeding the homeless in downtown Calgary on bitterly cold days, and refusing to stop, so he was accumulating the tickets, mm -hmm. Sarah was fighting every single one of those tickets like it was the most important thing in front of her, and she rescued Pastor Art from thousands of dollars in tickets. Yeah, you know, um, you're, you've mentioned three lawyers that I've had the pleasure of uh, dealing with, at least even briefly. I mean, I know Sarah the best yep. out of the three names you've mentioned. And I think, I mean, I think they're all great lawyers. I, I have not even met all 21 of our lawyers, obviously. Right? <laughs> uh, we have a full-time legal coordinator who's been on this show a few times, Victoria yep. Solomon. So, And we've got, I think, three paralegals like just to manage the 2200 cases. Yep. So she would know them all. But it's not just that Leighton Gray and Sarah Miller and Chad Williamson are good lawyers. It's that if there was, if the first mask case or social gathering distancing case goes to court, 
and you have an excellent lawyer who has good legal research, has all the case law on their side, has done their homework, and is making the best arguments, and isn't forgetting little things. If the first test has an excellent lawyer on it, the government risks having a precedent set that will then cast a shadow over the other thousands of cases. So my guess is if the government is going to proceed, they're going to proceed against unrepresented clients, like someone who's just mm -hmm. in court by themselves, or someone with sort of a goofy or, or half-baked legal case. And that's one of the reasons I'm critical of these homemade lawyering ideas, like we saw Patrick King, a guy from Red Deer, say, oh, yep. I found the secret weapon. No, you didn't, mate. And you actually lost. And I don't want people to go to court either half-baked or with no lawyer because we don't want the first case, we don't want a conviction to set a precedent. We want to set a precedent of acquittal for charter reasons or other reasons. So anyway, uh, I'm, I'm pleased to hear the voice. So how many cases are you working on right now? You got, th was it three I heard oh. that were just acquitted? I, I've got three that just came in over the last... Um I guess, day and a half victories out of Manitoba. But I've got, you know, a dozen probably fight the fines cases um, that are currently sitting on my desktop that I'm I'm working on and coordinating with the lawyers uh, to try to package up those cases and get them out the door so that everybody can see the good work that um, they've contributed to uh, through fightthefines.com. That's another reason why I love fight the fines is because there are people out there who really want to get involved in the fight for freedom, but they can't always go to a protest or maybe they don't, they have, they can't have their name attached to a, a, a ticket or a fight or something, but they can donate to fightthefines.com uh, through the democracy fund. They can get a charitable tax receipt for that. And they can really help people who are being hammered with these lockdown tickets. Yeah. Um, one of the, and you know, before we go on, I just want to point out another really big victory that um, I think I, we should all be really proud of. And that's the case of the full gospel outreach center in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, the poorest church that I have ever seen. And I want to stress that because I've been to Northern Iraq where mm -hmm. the churches are bombed out doing literally the Lord's work, ministering to the homeless in downtown uh, Prince Albert, the drug addicted, the least of us. They were slapped with a $14,000 lockdown ticket for not making the people in their church sing with masks on. These are people who are, you know, in precarious housing situations, sometimes homeless, sometimes not. And the government wanted them to wear masks when they don't even sleep indoors sometimes. They got a $14,000 lockdown ticket. We took that on. We lawyered them up right away. And it got to the point exactly that you point out, Ezra, where the government has to make a decision whether they're willing to lose this ticket and set a precedent or withdraw it, and they withdrew it. Yeah. And we saved them from that $14,000 yeah, ticket. $14,000, just incredible. Well, um, that's great. Thank you for the update. And I just want to say one point, and it's a technical point. I don't think most people would care. But uh, as you mentioned, Fight the Fines uh, project, we started a year and a half ago, but the Democracy yeah. Fund, a registered CRA-compliant charity, is now funding the project. So when you donate at fightthefines.com at that website, the money does not go to Rebel News. It actually goes to the Democracy Fund. And then the Democracy Fund gives that money directly to the lawyers. There is no overhead. There's, there's uh, you know, I mean, the only people who work for the Democracy Fund 
are the lawyers and the paralegals. There's no other salaries there or yep. other costs uh, other than what's going to this project. And you get a charitable tax receipt, which helps you at tax time. And I think that's one reason this has been so successful because people can donate a little more yep. than otherwise because it comes off their taxes. I feel really good about this. And I think Fight the Fine Star Commons actually the largest civil liberties project in Canada measured by clients and and lawyers. I think it just is. We got to go, Sheila. We got to run. Great to see you. Thanks for fighting the, uh, the fines. And for everyone out there who's been donating, I think you can see the fruits of your, of your generosity. So thanks for that. Sheila, have a great weekend. You too, boss. All right. Cheers. Stay with us. More ahead. Well, the first week of the federal election is over. It's very interesting to me. Um, it's depressing to me because I don't see a lot of difference between the liberals and the conservatives. Uh, we've asked Aaron O'Toole and he won't answer us. We were 10 feet away from him and asked him and he just walked by silently. If he thinks that vaccine passports should be a temporary measure, he wouldn't say that they were. He's not opposed to vaccine passports. He mumbled something about maybe there being some exemptions but he's fine with vaccine passports. He's fine with the lockdowns. I really don't see a lot of difference between him and the liberals. And it's interesting that their chief angle attack on him is abortion, which is classic uh, liberal. But it made me think if you're pro-choice, as liberals say they are, and believe that doctors don't have, uh, shouldn't be gatekeepers for women who want an abortion it's between a woman and her conscience or whatever, why is my body, my choice, pro-choiceness? Why doesn't that apply to these experimental vaccines? I wonder if any media will ask the liberals that or if they're just too much on the gravy train. That's our show for today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom.